Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. This morning we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 4. We're only going to cover seven verses this morning. But the Bible says we're, we're an unusual and peculiar people. And in that, we see it throughout the Bible. My paper doesn't want to stay up on my stand today. Here, <laughs> There's a unique completeness to those who follow Christ. And that's because of our status as children of God. We're going to take a look at that today. And we're going to take a look at how God leads us and guides us into that completeness. So if you start in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 4, we're going to do the first seven verses there. <laughs> it says, Now I say that the heir, that as long as he is a child, does not differ from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, to understand this scripture, we really have to take a look, first of all, at the setting of the scripture. Paul is writing to a group of people, the, the Galatians, <clears throat> um, as a corrective letter to those who would turn from the grace that's been provided through Christ back to rules and regulations and laws to get closer to God. In fact, earlier in this book, if you read earlier in Galatians, Paul even confronts Peter. It says that he confronted Peter to his face about, about doing this very same thing. So it wasn't, just a, it wasn't just a few people. It was an entire culture of what was going on. And uh, beyond the correction, though, Galatians is a, a book describing what true freedom in Christ is pointing us to the only one who can set us free. So we have to keep that in mind as, as we're reading this scripture, is that he's talking to these people who have, have, are struggling with the mindset of what they have to do in order to, to receive God's grace. But first, the thing he wants them to know is that they're heirs. It says, now, that, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from a slave, though he is master of all. We're heirs. That means there's something that we can inherit. There is a place to go. There are things that we will receive. But before we receive them, the heir 
is a servant, a bondservant. It's a, it's a term that we see as you, if you look at the beginning of many of the, the, uh, the letters, you'll hear James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see this over and over again. So you start out as a small child being an heir, but being as a servant, as a slave. Notice it doesn't matter whether it's the firstborn. He isn't talking about anyone in particular. You could be the firstborn who would inherit the majority as the master of the state. It doesn't matter. He says that this person is placed under this protective care. And it it goes on. It says that, that, but he's under guardians and stewards until the time of the appointed by the father. A child in Hebrew culture, because of, of, honestly, because of the death rate, a lot of it was, uh, many children didn't reach adulthood. So un- until they reached a certain age, they didn't put any, any, uh, basically any stock because they didn't know whether that child was going to live or die. But when that child reached the age of, of 13, and actually it would be, in this case it would be 14 after his 13th year, would be completed, he was underneath, uh, underneath tutelage, and he was taught through the scriptures. He was... He was taught the ways of what needed to be done in the household. He was raised as a servant would be raised. And he had no right to his estate at that point proper. He wasn't allowed, he wasn't allowed any of his inheritance at that point until he reached age 14. Then when he reached age 14, he was placed under governance, which was, was a, basically kind of a guided, a guided growth. I guess we, we could call it high school. But this person was placed underneath a, a, a governor, someone many times a, either an older relative or, or a parent if their parents were still alive. And then that person would be raised to age 25 under that person. They would have a rights to their estate. They would have rights to all the finances and all these things. But they were required to answer to this person. So here's this heir under so much restriction, but, but being brought up through these various stages to a point of completion. It's interesting, there was a man by the name of Paul Kretzman, he was a commentator, he said, he said that this about the, the person that was placed in in authority, in, in this case, a father. A father is not acting foolishly or for the purpose of punishing the son and imposing such restrictions upon him, but for the minor's benefit, lest he spend and squander his money foolishly. And it's, it's true. When, when we first become Christians and we first receive this promise, this wonderful thing, we're not quite sure what to do with it. Some people learn fast. Some people learn slow. Some people, it takes an entire lifetime to get to a certain point. But it's for the child's benefit. But you notice there's a change in status. 
says in verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. The fullness of time comes. And these people, many of the Hebrew people that he was speaking to at this point, who are turning back towards the law that we were talking about, turning back towards living underneath a set of rules, need to realize that Christ came to complete things, to bring them out from underneath that, from underneath that governance and that tutelage so that they could be full adopted sons and daughters. And we're going to talk about that later on here. But God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus, to set the example, put himself in the same position we started out in. He made himself completely and totally, now the word escapes me, but he put himself completely and totally under the law. He was completely subservient to it. But because he did that, we know that he completed it. So he filled it, fulfilled it, not only by obeying it, but by completing the, the, the scripture. If we go back and we start studying the Old Testament, the huge amount of of Bible prophecies that he had to fulfill to be who he was. <clears throat> but here's Christ, poured in the flesh, bringing himself to the point where he takes our place. And why? <clears throat> in verse 5 it says, To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. This word redemption is a very important word. We, you know, we hear so many words. We hear grace. We hear mercy. We hear all of these different terms. But redemption is one we all need to remember. This word redemption, when you pull it from the Greek, is actually referring to the purchase price of a slave. In the Roman world that these folks lived in, in order for a slave to be freed, in order for him to be redeemed, he had to be purchased. And whoever purchased him had the control as the head of the family, had so much control that they had the power of life and death over that, that slave, over that servant including continuing that, that person in slavery or giving them freedom. <clears throat> because of the fulfillment of the requirements of the law by Christ, we become eligible for that sort of redemption. Not only to be free, 
And this is what's important. Not only are we redeemed, now because we are free men and women, we can be adopted as sons and daughters. So we move beyond redemption to adoption. So now what does, <coughs> what does adoption mean? <coughs> well, in the world Paul lived in, you had, you had two forms of adoption. And you have to remember that Paul lived with, he, he kind of lived with his foot in two different worlds. He had one foot in the Roman world. He was a Roman citizen. He, he was raised with Roman and Greek culture. And then the other foot, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, trained in the school of a man by the name of Gamaliel, who was one of the most brilliant Hebrew scholars of, of the time of Paul, in fact, considered one of the most brilliant Hebrew scholars of all times. So this man had a foot in both worlds. So we're going to look at adoption just for a second in both worlds. Now, he's talking about adoption as, as children, Okay. So most likely when we're talking about this, he's probably referring to the Hebrew models. But we're going to cover both of them because you have to understand when these people heard adoption, there was a certain uh, image in their head. In Roman adoption, Roman adoption usually happened between a family or a clan and an adult individual. Because children didn't normally, many times didn't make it to uh, full age, They didn't adopt children at all. And usually, they didn't adopt girls. Once in a while they would, but most of the time it was a male child because they were being adopted as heirs or the head of a family. If you're familiar with Roman history, if you're familiar with Octavian, he was a a Roman emperor. He was not actually from the family of Augustus. He was actually adopted by them so he could become Caesar. So they would take this adult male child, they would bring them into the family, they would give them the proper proper name and give them with that basically all full rights. It's, it's like that child was born in the family, that, like that child was actual blood. Now they could be removed, they could actually lose their adoption, but that was a very rare case. Now, on the other hand, you have the Hebrew model of adoption. Many times, as, as we've been looking at in the scripture here before, parents died. And someone had to take care of this child. Now, in Roman, in Roman days and in, in, in Roman culture, if a, if a baby was born and that family didn't want it, they could leave that child outside, sitting outside the house, and just let it die. They had that right as the head of the household. They could actually do that. But because of the sacredness of life within Hebrew culture, if, if a family's parents died, there was one of two things that would happen. A, a family in the community or a close relative would come in and would adopt that child. Now, what would happen in that case is anything that that child's family had that he came from would be his and would be held in trust until he was old enough to take care of it. That age of of 14 and age of 25 we were talking about earlier. And that would be held in trust for them. And then if 
that family didn't have a male heir or didn't have an heir that could fulfill what they needed, their goods would go to that child also. But now take a look at that through the lens of Christ. We have adoption. We've already been redeemed. We've been removed from slavery. We've been bought with a price. And now, beyond that, we're brought into the family and given full rights and benefits. Full rights, full benefits. I, I can't say that enough. Just, just the, the thought is mind-blowing that we have a God who sent his son here to redeem us. He pays the price, and then we're given an inheritance with him. Well, what's the effect of this new status? You're redeemed. You're adopted. It goes on, it says, To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of the son into your hearts. Crying out, Abba, Father. Remember how we talk, you hear so many times, you know, if you've watched a Billy Graham crusade, receive Jesus into your hearts, you hear people, what in the world is that supposed to mean? This is where it comes from. This is where it comes from. Right here. So the spirit of Christ, not only are we redeemed, not only are we adopted, but we're given the spirit of Christ. And because of that, we are allowed an intimacy with the Father that's unparalleled. And the reason we know that is because of this term. It says we can cry out. The Son cries out in our hearts, what? Abba, Father. Abba is not just a term that people threw around. It's like you didn't, you didn't, it's not like me saying, oh yeah, that's my dad. Oh, that's my mom. It's, it's, it, you know, and I'm, and she's not in here. I can't pick on her, but it's my daughter Katie, who sees me coming up the walk when I've worked all night long, and it's it's seven thirty in the morning. They're getting ready for school, and she sees me before I get in the house, and I hear this scream, "Daddy!" And she comes flying out the door and wraps her arms around me. I call her my Klingon. We were just talking about it out in the hall, and she wraps her arms around me so tight, and I I think she's gonna squeeze you know part of me in half. But it's that term, daddy. It's that intimacy. It's that closeness. It's that, it's that absolute bond that exists between a child, a true child, and their father. So now we're, we're redeemed. We're adopted. And we are allowed Christ, the intimacy of Christ in our hearts and the intimacy of being able to, through him, call out to the God of all creation and call him daddy. Some people use the term papa. I've heard that one thrown around a lot. My kids, that's what they call grandpa. So, But we re- receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, like we are saying, he has sent forth the spirit of the son, 
into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore. And this is what it all comes down to. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now we went up through all this, all six verses and got to seven, and they just he just put it all in one verse. So if you want to memorize one of these, memorize verse seven. Because you are sons and daughters of the God of all creation if you belong to him through Christ. I, I, I know I probably have said it in every sermon you've heard from me, but I find this stuff mind-blowing. You, you, you try to wrap your head around all of, all of this, and it's, you get it, but you don't realize the significance of it. And the deeper you get into Christ... And the more you allow him to cry out from your heart to his father, the more intimate this is going to become. So knowing all this, being redeemed and adopted and intimate, are we finding God's joy, his peace, his fulfillment, Are we finding his purpose in our own lives? In in our daily mundane things? You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, I don't have to ask God what color shirt I'm supposed to wear this morning or shoes. But you know what? The amazing thing is because of the intimacy that we have, we can. We can look in the mirror and go, God, is this, this really the shirt I'm supposed to wear today? doesn't mean he's going to go, oh, no, no, that is not your color. (laughs) But do we find fulfillment in him? Do we find our purpose in him? Do we find joy in him? Or do we live in the opposite? Do Do we do what the Galatians were doing? Do we live in fear? Do we live under the law? Do we subject ourselves to all these rules and regulations? I mean... Just a few weeks ago, we just finished doing taxes, April 15th. And you can, you can watch the sweat break out on people's brows as they have to start doing that. A friend of mine in South Dakota, she does farm taxes. And I'm sorry, I'm glad it's her doing those things because I look at numbers like that. My head starts swimming. I break out in a cold sweat, you know. But when we put ourselves back under that law, when we put ourselves back under just brutalizing fear, we're, we're completely destroying what Christ is trying to do in our lives. <clears throat> so what I want to tie this to, and, and for those of you who haven't been around, well, I haven't been around a lot of you for a long time. But missions is one of my just, I I love missions. I love missionaries. I love people that are willing to go out and do and, and meet people where they are and reach out to them with the love of Christ. Are we taking these promises that have been so wonderfully given to us and are we reaching out to Judea 
and Samaria in Jerusalem, the uttermost parts of the earth, are we reaching out to those? <clears throat> because they need redemption and they need adoption and they need that intimacy with Christ. So think about ways that you can do that. Think about the things around you. It might, it might be something simple. For someone, it was simple enough to purchase a slave and provide them freedom. If we study many of the early saints, especially in Asia Minor, many of these men would actually save up money familiar with the story of St. Nicholas, right? He saved girls from slavery of the most horrible kind. <clears throat> That's what he did is he would take money and purchase these girls and give them their freedom. And many of them took their money and pooled it and would do this to redeem people. Maybe it's a smile. Maybe it's walking across the street. But we have the ability, because Christ lives in us, to change an entire world. And it starts with us. So this morning, as, as we go out, keep that in mind. Look at the people around you. Look in their eyes and see what they really need. And we know the first thing they need is Christ. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for redeeming us, for adopting us, for living in our hearts. Oh, it's such a beautiful thing. We just ask, Lord, that you would, you would cry out from our heart of hearts, Lord, and, and cry out to the Father that we would be able to become closer and closer to you. Let us continue to move beyond the law that you fulfilled and towards the grace and the joy that you provided, that our lives might be full and joyful. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, we ask you to, to give us your eyes that we might be able to see the world through through them and reach the world for you and for their sakes. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now enjoy getting out of church again a little earlier because Pastor Don will be back next week and, and I can guarantee you he will probably be a little longer than mine. <laughs>